Welcome to Canada's most irreverent talk show. This is The Andrew Lawton Show, brought to you by True North. Hello and welcome to you all, Canada's most irreverent talk show here at The Andrew Lawton Show on True North on this Thursday, February 8th. We are once again live and out of the corner of my eye, I've been on jury watch for the bulk of the day. Uh, so you may recall over uh, the earlier part of this week and last week I was covering in Washington, D.C., the trial of Mark Stein and Rand Simberg. They've been sued by prominent climate scientist Michael Mann, formerly of Penn State, over comments they made linking the uh, what they view as the whitewash of the investigation into misconduct allegations against Michael Mann into the whitewash of the investigation into Jerry Sandusky, the disgraced pedophile and rapist who had been the head of the Penn State athletics program. Now, uh, the question here is not, do you believe in global warming, which was kind of the argument that Michael Mann and his lawyers were putting forward, but it's, do you have a right to make criticisms of a scientist that are uh, perhaps a little bit colorful or inflammatory, but can it be inflammatory without being defamatory? That was the juxtaposition that was put forward by Rand Simberg's lawyer. So uh, I've been following this uh, trial. It's now in its fourth week. This is the fourth day of the fourth week and the jury is, excuse me, deliberating. The jury is out in the most literal sense of the word. They went out at about 4 p.m. yesterday afternoon they had about 45 minutes of deliberation before the union mandated close of business at the court kicked in and then they had to all go home and restart again this morning and that uh, process began out of somewhere after 9 a.m or so but the jury has been out for the last uh three to four hours and i have the zoom box or webex box open on my monitor here and it they've just put like a flash uh, card up in front of where the courtroom would normally be saying the jury is deliberating so uh, if it looks like movement coming I, I might keep an ear on that I don't know if we can I, I was gonna say maybe we could just go to the court stream when they're reading the verdict but I think I might find myself in contempt of court in the District of Columbia which is not a fate I would wish on myself or on anyone so uh, that is what we are keeping an eye out for and I actually had a, a lovely email from Tim that I wanted to read uh, Tim sent a very kind note in which he said if I can find the note here he wanted to convey his appreci appreciation for a great run of content recently. He said, from Stein to Danielle Smith and deserved questions of Polly Ebb, you've asked great questions and struck the right tone. I've particularly enjoyed the Unjust Transition series. Putting faces, names, and finer detail around the amorphous oil and gas sector is a master stroke. And he says he's learned a great deal. Well, that was a note that made me incredibly happy, Tim, so I thank you for it. And we will have the last installment of that very series, that Unjust Transition series, coming up in uh, just, I don't know, however many minutes. It'll be in today's show. But I, I want to talk, just on the note of oil and gas, uh, talk about feeding right into the discussions I've been having on the show here. The whole point is that our politicians don't understand the oil and gas sector. There's misinformation. The media doesn't get it. And because of that, Canadians don't get it. And then we have Charlie Angus, old Charlie Angus, the member of parliament for Timmins James Bay, a longtime new Democrat. He had this to say at a press conference this week. Oil has always relied on the big tobacco playbook of delay and disinformation. And so to tackle this immense threat to human health, we need to use many of the strategies that finally took down big tobacco. 
1997, the Canadian Parliament banned advertising from big tobacco because of the clear threat to human health. This is why I'm so proud to stand here today with representatives of Canada's medical community to state that the time has come to ban all oil and gas advertising. The big tobacco moment has finally arrived for big oil. Bill C-372 will, quote, provide a legislative response to a national public health and environmental problem of substantial and pressing concerns. The bill will make it illegal for big oil and gas lobby and the gas lobby or their front groups or paid influencers to falsely promote the burning of fossil fuels as a benefit to the public. The legislation will make it illegal to falsely claim that the use of one fuel fossil fuel pro product is somehow better than another fossil fuel product uh, in improving the environment. And this legislation will target advertising that falsely claims that oil and gas are having a positive impact on the global economy. And we recently learned that toxic contamination from Canada's oil and gas industry is 6,000 times higher than officially reported. This legislation will make it illegal for Canada's oil and gas giants to falsely identify themselves with the health and positive lifestyles of Canadians or with reconciliation of Indigenous people on whose lands the toxic contamination is highest. The big tobacco moment has arrived for companies like Suncor, Imperial and the oil and gas giants of Canada. The big tobacco moment is here. So what Charlie Angus is saying there is that we need to treat oil and gas advertising the way we treat tobacco advertising, which is to basically send it the way of the dodo bird. Now, here I'm going to read a little bit from the preamble because it sets the tone for what he's advocating. Whereas climate change represents an unprecedented and existential threat to people in Canada and around the world, whereas extreme weather events such as the 2021 heat dome in BC are already proving deadly in Canada and are expected to increase in frequency and magnitude due to climate change, whereas Canada had its worst wildfire season ever last year, he left out the part where a vast majority of that was all attributed to arson, not to uh, the big oil companies or big tobacco or anyone else, apart from uh, many climate activists and arsonists. He says, whereas Canada has made international climate commitments to reduce fossil fuel consumption and reach carbon neutrality, whereas protection of the environment is a valid use of the federal criminal law power, whereas air pollution from fossil fuels causes millions of premature deaths globally and tens of thousands of premature deaths in Canada alone. Sorry, my air quotes are, are lopsided. I, uh, there we go. I don't, know, I don't know how I got lobster. Maybe my arms are just not functioning. I bet it was fossil fuels. I bet it was oil. I don't know how, but to use the Charlie Angus playbook, I bet it was oil. It's a climate emergency, and he says fossil fuel advertising needs to stop. So here's the thing that is so baffling about this, is that he's looking at this big, giant, evil, scary boogeyman of the oil and gas sector, and he's saying they should not be allowed to do any promotion whatsoever. They cannot promote their products. They cannot say they're better. They can't even promote what they're doing for oil and gas, what they're doing for the environment. So they would not be allowed to say, hey, here's what we're doing to meet net zero commitments. They couldn't do it. They couldn't say, here's what we're doing for Indigenous communities. They couldn't say, here is what oil and gas is to the Canadian economy. So he is literally 
by definition, criminalizing the other side of the bait. He does not want anyone to be able to put forward a position that is in contradiction with the position he has, which is oil and gas equals evil, bad, scary. So this is literally, I mean, this is tin pot dictatorship nonsense here. When you say that no one should have the legal right to debate you, to debate your position, no one should have the right to disagree with you publicly. That's what Charlie Angus is saying there. And he is being absolutely unequivocal about it. So I would say to him that it is tremendously revealing that he does not believe in free speech, does not believe in civil liberties, does not believe in the right to debate, and has an incredibly misguided view of the oil and gas sector and everything it is and, and does. And I, I kind of just had a, a moment where I was uh, distracting myself from work today. So I tried to do something that didn't feel like work, but I could justify as being work. And I use, there's this website called, well, it's a service called MidJourney, which you can make AI generated images. So I, I used an AI generated image to make this. So I don't want you to think this is some uh, that I'm, I'm, oh yeah, I, there it is already. Uh, so these are, yeah, two prisoners. Uh, the one on the left says, what are you in for? Uh, the one on the right, I said the oil and gas sector was good for the Canadian economy. <laughs> that, that is the, uh, the two prisoners there chatting. Now, I realized after I made that image that uh, we find the one upside of this, the one upside of Charlie Angus trying to criminalize the oil and gas sector and promotion thereof is that we finally found a way to make the NDP care about crime. <laughs> that, that's the one silver lining of this. We found a way to make it so that the NDP uh, cares about crime and cares about justice. So uh, someone had responded to me on, on Twitter, or X as it's now known. Uh, I should have pulled the, uh, the screenshot to put up there, but it was in the replies to that. Uh, they had said, yeah, well, the guy on the left is a pedophile and he'll be out next week. But the guy on the right who promoted the oil and gas sector, he, he gets uh, the two-year uh, jail sentence, which is sadly, sadly a reality. So maybe we can kind of converge two things here. Remember, I, I spoke a few weeks back about how they're making Law & Order Toronto. Maybe the first episode, the premiere of Law & Order Toronto, can be uh, you know some oil and gas advocate that accidentally put up a uh, tweet that promoted oil and gas, and then Charlie Angus goes and slaps the, the cuffs on them, and then they have to get themselves off in the uh, courtroom for the remainder of the episode. I think that would be a very Canadian Law & Order Toronto. The uh, They don't go after the guy on the subway that's uh, taking a dump in the corner. They don't go after the guy who's shooting up outside your kid's school, but they go after the guy who dared to uh, talk about the benefits and virtues of oil and gas. And if you, if you look at the detail of this, the detail of this uh, bill, uh, Private Members Bill C-372, uh, they're they're literally saying that oil and gas are the new tobacco. So that that shows the narrative here that they're trying to peddle. And the fact that you couldn't even disagree with that, you couldn't say that, oh, well, uh, this is a, a net zero product. This is a way that we're promoting carbon capture. This is exactly why the people that have this rabid and this rabid hatred, this rabid antagonism of Canada's energy sector are so dangerous because they genuinely believe that this is a sector that is meant to be vilified and demonized. And by trying to literally criminalize it, because that's what they're doing. It, it's a literal criminalization of the oil and gas sector. They are being tremendously revealing of what their agenda truly is. So, uh, you know, basically, this is the new future if the NDP has its way. I wanted to share a, a graphic. This is from First Nations LNG. And they put up this uh, post on X that Charlie Angus's bill, 
prevents touting the industry as a tool for uh, Indigenous reconciliation. So they say, should Karen Ogan get two years jail or a $1 million fine? She's the CEO of the First Nations LNG Allowance, uh, Alliance. She promotes LNG development as a way to lift Indigenous people and their communities out of poverty. So if you advocate, if you are an Indigenous person advocating for resource development that benefits the Indigenous people, that is literally literally against the law under this. And I'll, I'll read the direct quote. It is prohibited for a person to promote a fossil fuel or the production of a fossil fuel in a manner that states or suggests that a fossil fuel or the practices of a producer or of the fossil fuel industry would lead to positive outcomes in relation to the environment, the health of Canadians, reconciliation with Indigenous peoples, or the Canadian or global economy. So if you, like that lovely woman there, say that oil and gas benefits Indigenous reconciliation or Indigenous people or the Canadian economy, you will be found to have broken criminal law and you can be literally sent to jail. This is absolutely insane. Now, uh, I don't normally like uh, quoting Warren Kinsella. The only reason I don't like quoting uh, Nora, uh, Warren Kinsella is because it means that I have to think about Warren Kinsella, which is not good for my or anyone's mental health. But uh, Warren Kinsella had posted this image on uh, social media, which I will give credit where it's due. It's Charlie Angus in the back of a pickup truck, a GMC Sierra, which does not look like a hybrid. It does not look like it's electric. It, uh, I don't know why you're seeing uh, half of my, you know, like torso below that. There we go. Uh, it doesn't look like it is uh, one of these, you know, fancy environmentally friendly trucks. You might even say that he is promoting. He is promoting. He's so cheery and enthusiastic as he sits in the back of that truck in the flatbed that he is almost promoting something that is rooted in oil and gas. So I... This, as Warren Kinsella writes there, maybe he should be turning himself into the police station. Maybe he's en route there right now because that just seems a little too close for comfort. I mean, you wouldn't do that. You wouldn't let yourself be so excited in front of the tobacco aisle at the uh, corner store, would you there, Charlie? No. So <laughs> that's exactly where we are in the course of this. So uh, let's kind of drill down into why this is dangerous. I mean, it's I, I've talked about the oil and gas sector and, and the, the problems there because it's just fundamentally based on misinformation and a misrepresentation of what that sector is in Canada, how uh, diligent they are at promoting environmentalism and conservation. But there's the free speech angle as well. And, you know, I've had a, a couple of chats with people about this over the last day or so since news of, of this uh, private member's bill was released. But the thing about it that is so uh, disturbing is that I couldn't even say, if I were to get into a debate with Charlie Angus, and I, I've invited him on the show in the past, he, he's never wanted to come on, but I couldn't say, well, you know, Charlie, I, I think, you know, even if we disagree on oil, uh, your, your bill would be, a po it would be contradicting of free speech. And that's not a trump card. I mean, he, he would say, so what? Because you're talking about people who fundamentally reject the idea that free speech is a positive. So if you were to say, well, this bill is uh, bad or it's unconstitutional or it's anti-liberty, if you were to say any of that, uh, you would actually be uh, very much at odds with uh, any position that they'd be willing to take on. Because he is part of a group. He's part of a cohort that believes free speech is the problem. He doesn't care. His right to speak freely against oil and gas is fine. His right to vilify 
that sector, his right to vilify uh, indigenous people that value resource development, his right to do all of that is fair game, his and his supporters' rights if they want to protest projects, maybe even by uh, sitting and camping out on rail lines, all of that's fair game. They have the right to do that, but no one who is taking the other position has that right. No one who's taking the other position has that right. So uh, this is to me a baffling, but not all that unsurprising, if you can square those two terms, a development in the course of this debate here. Now, uh, one thing that I, I wanted to bring up when we talk about federal politics right now is that I think most Canadians are probably not on Charlie Angus's side here. That's uh, the one silver lining of this all. So Justin Trudeau yesterday uh, made a claim that he meant to be an insult, but I kind of think it backfired on him in the delivery. This is from the House of Commons. Mr. Speaker, what we hear from the leader of the opposition is uh, under the previous Conservative government, everything was perfect. And what he is proposing to do is to make Canada great again. That is not what Canadians want. He is pining for a nostalgia that, quite frankly, Canadians do not feel. They remember what he did as part of Stephen Harper's failed housing minister. He remembers the people who, the rights of individuals, Indigenous peoples violated uh, the uh, ignoring of environmental responsibilities and the lack of an environmental and economic plan for the future. We're going to continue. Yeah, you got all the you got the trifecta there. It was uh, Stephen Harper government, uh, oblique Trump reference. And then we're going to, you know, be the ones that are securing uh, better the future opportunities for Canada. So we had the trifecta there, blame Harper, blame Trump, and make some vague platitude about the liberal government's willingness and ability to deliver. Now, he, he butchered the line there. He was stumbling and fumbling as much as he was talking about a water bottle. It's the same he can't be... Uh, it's, it's a shame he, uh, he, he uh, you know, couldn't string out the one little bit of uh, line and dialogue that he had uh, tried to prep for that. I realize I flubbed my line when I was accusing him of flubbing his. So maybe it's something in the water. But uh, the point of this that I, I'm stressing here is that Canadians are right now proving that they're kind of okay with what Polyev is putting out. Now, obviously, it's early. There's a fair bit of vote parking that happens when people get a call from a pollster and they kind of just say at that moment in time what they want. And maybe they don't vote that way when an election comes up. Realistically, we're probably about 18 months away from a national election. But it's weird that Trump comparisons have become the norm everywhere. I've, I've said to people countless times before that stand-up comedy has been killed in a lot of ways now because you have so many lazy hack comedians that don't know how to tell jokes or write jokes anymore. They just get up on stage and it's like, oh, Donald Trump, am I right? And that's supposed to be in and of itself enough to bring the audience on your side. And when people do this, it feeds into the political class. It feeds into the political culture which is where we see this unfolding now. So uh, Trump and Trudeau have met together. They have supposedly had good conversations, but Trudeau wants to turn around and score a political points off of Trump, who may, well, is going to be the Republican nominee. And in doing so, he can then uh, just try to link Polyev to Trump. So Doug Ford is Trump. Danielle Smith is Trump. Pierre Polyev is Trump. Andrew Scheer was Trump. Everyone's going to be Trump. It, it doesn't really matter. They don't even need to make the comparison stick. They just have to say it, and they think that's enough. So that's going to be like the lone liberal talking point that we get 
when we see the next election, whenever that is. It's going to be uh, Polyev equals Trump. And when you see him there with his lovely family uh, talking about things that matter to Canadians, uh, people are going to be like, I, it's, I don't I don't know. Maybe he's maybe he's, I don't think he's he's necessarily Trump like. So uh, we have been promoting to go back to how we started off this show, the positives of the oil and gas sector. And one way we've done this is through this fantastic series that I've, I've really enjoyed called Unjust Transition, our inversion of Justin Trudeau and Jonathan Wilkinson's and Stephen Gilbo's so-called Just Transition. Today is the last of the interviews we did with CEOs and executives from the energy sector to talk about the work they're doing. And this one features Brian Gould, who is the CEO of Aspen Leaf Energy. So finishing off this wonderful series, take a look. I'm joined now by Brian Gould of Aspen Leaf Energy. Brian, it's good to talk to you. Just set this landscape here. How does Aspen Leaf fit into the Canadian energy sector? Great. Uh, so we are a private oil company, started about 10 years ago. Uh, myself and, and three colleagues, uh, former executives at, at Shell, uh, and we saw a business opportunity to acquire companies and assets in Western Canada, primarily Alberta, and produce uh, crude oil. Uh, so we produce 25,000 barrels a day of like, like crude oil now. Uh, and we started the company with a vision of not just being profitable for our investors, but we grew up with a, a mentality and a view of how a company should be run. And so we're very passionate about our culture uh, commitment to working respectfully with our employees, with the communities which we operate, uh, being responsible in terms of environmental performance. And we think the all fit together under one umbrella, uh, which I call just strong corporate governance. So what are the barriers for you that you're finding in, in the sector as, as an oil company that's obviously successful, but is one of those giant players that tends to be the one that dominates the discussion of the industry in Canada? I, I'd say probably access to capital and um, investors. Appetite would be the wrong word. Uh, we have investors that would like to stay invested in our company, we're, we're very profitable. Mm -hmm. uh, and yet the societal pressures on them to divest are overwhelming and overpowering. Mm -hmm. And so we're currently going through a, frankly, a restructuring where some of our investors are going to be forced to divest uh, despite rational economic performance, uh, just to satisfy these, what I'll call societal pressures. I, I mean, it sounds like you're putting a very charitable spin on it. I mean, these are very ideologically driven in, in many cases. And I'm wondering why that's stronger than clearly a market-based motivation to invest and to remain investing if this is a sector that is doing it as well as it is. It's a great question. Uh, all I can tell you is I deal with managers of large like college endowment funds mm -hmm. and... They, they've been particularly susceptible to these campaigns, these orchestrated efforts, yes. And some of them are forced to divest. Some of them are in a situation where they're not forced to divest their current holdings, but they're not allowed or permitted to invest in hmm. new opportunities. And so I, I put this all under the umbrella of access to capital. 
and the industry is frankly being starved of this access to capital, which is you know the life lifeblood of of a capital intensive industry. And and yeah, and I think that the important point here is that for capital, Canada is not in isolation here. People can put their capital anywhere in the world. So if they're seeing an environment in this country that doesn't seem like it's worth the hassle, then they are putting that money elsewhere. They're still investing in it. It's just Canadian companies are not the beneficiaries of it, right? Um, well, in part, it's Canadian companies. In part, though, uh, I would say it's a global phenomenon. Mm. Uh, many of our investors are uh, based in the United States, for example, uh, and they simply can't invest in the sector, whether it's in Canada or, or elsewhere. And the sad part of this for me is when I think about our investors, you know, people think about, frankly, us so old guys, we're the fat cats and all of this. Mm-hmm. But, but the people that are invested in my company are pensions. So, so I like to think of it, our profits pay pensions for retirees. Uh, we have a very large investor who has a, a sizable medical institute. I believe they funded something like over 20 Nobel Prize winners mm-hmm. just in the field of medicine. Uh, we fund a major world-famous art museum. Uh, so so this isn't money going to, you know, fat cats smoking big cigars. Uh, I like to think of it that the profits from our industry are paying it forward to society for education, for retirement funds, for medical research, mm-hmm. uh, for medical treatment, for the arts. I mean, these are all... I think causes that we all agree are are mm-hmm. very worthwhile. Well, and the, and the people you employ. I, I mean, that's the, their their lifeblood is this industry. And when you hear the government talk about this so called just transition, they're really imagining and I think saying as a an inevitability that there is a future in which these people shouldn't have those jobs. It, so that's a great question. So you know, although we're we're fairly modest in size. Uh, when I look at our direct and indirect employment through, you know, uh, contractors, mm-hmm. rigs and such, we probably employ about a thousand people. Uh, these are very high-paying jobs. Uh, we have field operators, many of whom they, these are people without college educations. Uh, these are fantastic-paying jobs for them, uh, and and I, it boggles my mind to think that in this transition that there will be any kind of replacement for that kind of employment, that quality of employment, mm-hmm. those number of jobs. In, 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 and I even hesitate to use the word just transition. To, mm-hmm. That's a, that's a fallacy. Well, it's the unjust, I mean, it's an unjust transition, which is why we, I've been using that language. And, and I will always caveat it with the so-called. And, and not just for Alberta. I mean, when Alberta is booming, this is attracting people from all across the country for those jobs. 100%. So this is of national interest. Mm-hmm. This isn't Calgary. This isn't Alberta. This is of national importance. And I would argue it's of importance to to the Western more, more fully. Uh, and then just so so I, I'd like to challenge two of your phrases, please. Just and transition. <laughs> well, they're not my. Let me clarify. They're not my phrases. I, 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 I'm I, quoting the those ones. But exactly. yes, carry on. So, so in my view, there's yeah. nothing just about mm-hmm. this. Uh, you know, I believe in a in a free open market economy. Mm-hmm. And if 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 the broader economic forces decide that there's a better product that that ours to supply energy, that's great. So be it. But, but there's nothing just about an enforced transition. Mm-hmm. And secondly, there is no transition. Uh, so this is a complete pipe dream. The fact, the, the belief that the world will transition off of fossil fuels in any mm-hmm. rational time frame is a pipe dream. I, you know, the stats I heard this morning, I believe that 84% of the world's energy still comes from fossil fuels. Uh, after decades of transition, that's maybe down a couple of percent. 
and there are six to seven billion people in this world they're fundamentally short of, of of energy and the world will need all sources of energy including fossil fuels in my view for the foreseeable future and when i say for foreseeable future i mean decades and decades hmm. beyond that so this concept that there will be a transition away from from this source of energy is frankly just uh a fairy tale. Uh, you've heard what they want to achieve. What would the real world implications of that be on, on your company? Not just your industry, but you, your company and your employees. If if they were to achieve what they want to achieve, our, our company simply would not exist. Uh, we would not exist. We would not be uh, supplying these you know thousand jobs, the taxes we pay. Uh, we have in our short lifespan contributed well over a billion dollars to the economy. And that would all be gone. And that's as a, and I, I don't mean this in a negative way, but that's as a smaller company. It, that's that's as a very small mm -hmm. company. So multiply that by many, many orders of magnitude, mm -hmm. many factors when you think about the size and the breadth of the industry. Uh, so I believe we're fundamental to the Canadian economy and how it manifests itself. It's everything from who pays for the social services that we all expect and want, who pays for medical care. What happens to the value of the Canadian dollar when we don't, this, you know, oil and gas is far and away our largest export. Mm -hmm. uh, good luck buying your fresh food and vegetables with a 30 cent dollar. So all of these things will cascade through the economy in, into ways that every Canadian will will relate to very directly. This, this will cause a reduction in our standard of living, full stop. Uh, and not only that, it will compromise our national security. Uh, mm -hmm. and, and these are fundamental, very fundamental issues. And the reason I'm not passionate about this topic for my company, I'm passionate about these topics for our country. Mm. Well, it's a very important note to end on. And for people who aren't in the industry, I think they can share that as well. Certainly when they hear it put how you have uh, phrased it there so eloquently, Brian Gould, thank you very much. Thanks for having me. Pleasure. That was the last installment of our Unjust Transition series, and I have credited on the show the Modern Miracle Network, which does very good work in advocating for the oil and gas sector in Canada for connecting me with all of those folks. And uh, it's fitting, although it was not anticipated before I saw this bill from Charlie Angus that we have on Michael Binion, who uh, we started the series with, and, and now we uh, inadvertently get to end it with him as well uh, from the Modern Miracle Network. Michael, it's always good to talk to you. Thanks for coming on today. Glad to be here. I'm actually down in in uh, Houston and at the NAEP show, so big uh, big oil and gas conference. And I've just managed to get out. I don't think I've got the perfect quiet place, but I'm but I'm happy. All right. Well, we'll we'll, we'll take in the uh, the sights of Houston, where I would uh, much rather be from a weather perspective right now. I just th this bill that has been proposed. I mean, it's bonkers, and most private members' bills don't get a a hearing and and are unlikely to pass. But but it it reflects, I think, an attitude which is very pervasive among people that do have tremendous influence here. And I, I just wanted to get your take on this first. I mean, is this, have you ever heard of anything going after your industry as aggressively as this? You know, this they've been signaling this idea for quite some time that somehow fossil fuels are similar to cigarettes. And of course, this whole bill is patterned on the the, you know, the advertising and warning labels and everything that has to go on, on cigarettes on, on the basis that I think that there was back in the 70s or whenever there was, in fact, uh, some cigarette companies that were caught doing some uh, promotion of their product without maybe talking about some of the risks of their product. So I think that's the analogy they're trying to create. The problem, 
the, the problem that I have with this bill is one is the whole preamble is based not on mainstream science, like as the International Panel on Climate Change doesn't agree with almost everything in their preamble. This is a this is a extreme extreme view of apocalyptic uh, apocalyptic warnings about the possibility of, of, of climate change, which I don't, as I said, the mainstream science I don't think agrees with. The other thing is fossil fuels have saved millions and millions, if not billions, of people, uh, and made everybody's life better. We've it, it 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 it's net very positive for human health, as we've seen in. You know, since we started using fossil fuels in the 1800s, and in child mortality rates, and longevity, and and health outcomes, and equality, all these all these things are literally miraculous in society, and so that that obviously is completely different than the cigarettes. Um, and and then I guess to finalize it, I think you know if they were to go ahead with what they're saying to say, you know, you're not allowed to say that natural gas has less emissions than coal because mm -hmm. that would be promoting a fossil fuel. Well, the environmental damage of not being able to pick the best fuel and the best energy in its best place has been already well demonstrated, for example, by our project in Quebec, where you know, hundreds and you know, thousands of megatons have, 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 you know, would have been saved if only we'd have been allowed to go ahead with a, a fuel that, is, that has lower environmental impacts. It's, all, it, it's like you said at the beginning, it's bonkers. Yeah, and, and I would point out as well when with that tobacco comparison that this bill doesn't go after deceptive advertising. Could I be I'd be completely on board with some uh, measured regulation on deceptive or dishonest advertising. This goes after truthful uh, advertising and promotion of the sector, and and one that that I find particularly jarring, especially for Charlie Angus, who's from Northern Ontario and and should know Indigenous communities quite well, is that you cannot even promote how these projects can benefit indigenous people and, and i've met through through introductions from from you uh indigenous advocates for the energy sector that don't just support it as a canadian economic project but specifically for indigenous communities and these people could literally be jailed for having these same conversations publicly i know you, you know i I've, I've often said that the problem with the energy debate that we've had and this is, you know, this is our one of our modern miracle network uh, messages. Is we've been for too long comparing the benefits of one kind of energy, alternatives, with the negative impacts of another kind of energy, fossil fuels. But what about the benefits of fossil fuels, which literally are miraculous? And and what, why are we not talking about some of the impacts of alternatives, which are pretty large? Like, and I and I and we're 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 all of the above and put the best energy in its best place. But we're also for a reasoned conversation on energy where we talk about benefits and the impacts, not just one or the other. And and as you said, this bill would say we're going to make it illegal, illegal to talk about the benefits of fossil fuels. Yeah, I mean, it, I mean, your entire initiative at Modern Miracle Network is to promote the miracle of hydrocarbon. So so you're you and your board are getting thrown in the slammer when this bill passes, if it passes. Right. Well, if we were to dare to advertise, I guess it's yeah, yeah. it's crazy, right? It's it, it, it's crazy, and so we're we're trying to promote, I think, a rational conversation, not not to ignore the impacts that fossil fuels are. Just the opposite. We're we're big promoters of of technology to to deal with the impacts of fossil fuels, but we're just saying let's not throw out a product that has created the miracle of modern society with you know without any thought or or consideration. And by the way, as we're looking at you know the impacts of, of of alternatives in terms of um landscape and i mean they're, they're the worst energies there are in terms of land use and materials use per gigajoule or kilowatt of energy and so you know there as i say wind and solar you've got some work to do to really become a 
uh, environmentally friendly energy. And by the way, so do fossil fuels. We've got a lot of work to do too. So uh, let's let's have that honest conversation about the work that we need to do. And let's have an honest conversation about the benefits that are brought to people. Yeah, and, and that's the thing. I mean, if you want to talk about the negatives in your eyes, fine with me, but uh, no one should be barred from discussing the positives as well. So uh, well said. I'll let you get back to your conference there, Michael, but always good to check in with you. Thank you so much for You're coming great. on Thanks, today. Andrew. Yeah, you bet. Bye-bye. All right. Michael Binion, executive director and founder of the Modern Miracle Network. As I said, a nice little cap off on our Unjust Transition series. And we'll put those all up on YouTube. So anytime you uh, get an NDP candidate knocking on your door and you want to uh, perhaps share with them the stories that they want to criminalize, you can uh, send a link to that. Maybe I'm going to be thrown in jail, actually. So I might need to do like the Ezra Levant thing and set up like a free Andrew uh, website and uh, GoFundMe campaign for when I get you know thrown in the slammer for having a nice and challenging. Uh, a friendly interview with an oil CEO because heaven forbid we promote the positives of what is the lifeblood of the Canadian economy. Well, that does it for us for today. Uh, if you haven't uh, picked it up yet, we have a new show on Fridays called Off the Record featuring uh, many weeks anyway, yours truly. So I'll be on tomorrow alongside Candace Malcolm and Harrison Faulkner. That comes out at sometime on Friday. Just keep, you know, watch all our shows. It's easier that way. You don't miss anything. Uh, with that, have a wonderful weekend. and We will see you all on Monday. Thank you. God bless and good day to you all. Thanks for listening to The Andrew Lawton Show. Support the program by donating to True North at www.tnc.news.